Hey, good morning. It is good to see you today. Uh, I'd like to give a special welcome today. We've got visitors who are here, prospective students for the John Wesley Honors College. They've got a big day ahead of them, so let's give them a warm welcome. Happy to have you here. Uh, it's always a privilege to uh, be able to bring God's word in chapel, but I have to admit today I'm a little nervous. Now, I'm always a little bit nervous when I speak, but uh, today I'm nervous for two specific reasons. Uh, first is, uh, following the chapel theme for this year, I'm going to be talking about something I'm learning about, and the topic is one that uh, many of you are going to say, nope, that's not for me, it doesn't apply. Um, and so I'm a little nervous about that. The topic is living a life of giving. A lot of you are going, are going to say, I don't have any money, I don't have any time, I don't have a car, I don't have a job, I don't have anything to give, and you're wrong. Um, so I just want to get that out of the way. But I'm a little nervous about this. Um, the second reason I'm a little nervous today is because I've recently discovered Iwu Airdrop, okay? <laughs> so, yep. So I discovered this a couple months ago. Somebody came into my office and saw this picture on my whiteboard. Uh, my daughter is an artist, and whenever she stops by my office, she draws something on my whiteboard. And so she draws this, and somebody came in and said, oh, did you get that from Iwu Airdrop? And I said, what's Iwu Airdrop? So I had to go out and look at it. I had preached recently, so of course I went to look for memes about me and found this. Okay, so... So this was somebody's artwork there. I thought it was kind of funny that I've only been here for a few months. I've preached three or four times, and already I have a reputation about what I preach about. So I'm not preaching about food in chapel today. Uh, sorry for that. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, Drake, for that, you know. Um, and so then I kind of look at this regularly. Last week we have Summit, um, you know, trying to figure out what's going on with that. This, uh, this meme pops up about John Bray. Um, I guess you guys aren't ready for that, okay? So, and then of course, um, I think two weeks ago today, uh, Cam spoke in chapel, just killed it, and, and so this one popped up, um, so, okay, so, so I'm a little nervous today, okay? Um, What's it? We might need to move past this slide here. All right, so um, what's interesting is that my two areas of nervousness actually connect with one another. Okay, so nervousness about my topic today and nervousness about Iwu Airdrop. Because when I become aware that some of you are listening today trying to figure out how you're going to do funny memes um, to post during chapel, it's easy for me to get self-conscious. Okay? It's easy for me to try to think about, can I be funnier? My daughter says no. Um, can I be more deep? Can I be better than Pastor Matt last week? Can I be better than Cam the week before? And when I start to think those things, I shift from a focus on giving and serving out of what God has given me and I, what I think he wants for you today to a focus on my own personality my own reputation. In other words, I shift from a posture of giving to a posture of holding tightly. And as we talk about giving today, it's not really about money. It's about what is our posture of how um, we normally react in the situations that come to us. 
And if you want a quick assessment of your spiritual life, um, think about, evaluate yourself. How much do you think about yourself versus how much do you think about others? Okay? In the normal things that happen today, how often is your first thought inward versus your first thought being outward? It's a pretty good measure of your spiritual maturity. And I find that when I'm in stress, when I'm in tired, when I'm tired, when I'm in new situations, it's really easy to turn from a posture of giving to a posture of holding tightly. And I want to talk today about, the, I believe, the fundamental um, heart of the gospel is a heart of giving, a heart of generosity. And so we're going to look at one verse today. It's the most popular verse probably in the world. Most of you, many of you probably memorized it when you were a little kid. I, I'm sure I memorized it before I could read. Um, it's John 3.16, okay? And some of you are going to say, yep, I know that verse. I can check out. I've got my chapel credit for today. Hang with me, okay? I want us to say it together. You can say it in whatever version you learned it in. You can say it in whatever language you learned it in. Uh, but let's say together John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You can tell that I learned this when the King James Version was still a thing. So, okay. Um, but it's interesting. So, so I have, it's still a thing. I realize that. So, but it was a bigger thing then. Um, so what I, as I've listened to that verse and recited that verse thousands of times, I almost always focused on the last part of the verse. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's the heart of the gospel. It's um, Jesus Christ coming and dying for us so that we could live for, with him forever. It's great. I kind of skipped over the whole first part of the verse. The first part of the verse was basically a pathway to get to the second verse. You have to get there somewhere, you know, somehow. It's kind of like when you write an intro, introduction for your papers. You're going, how do I get into the meat of the paper? And so I just saw the first part of the verse as God's introduction to eternal life. But in recent uh, months and years, I've been looking more at the first part of this verse and realizing how much of the gospel is about giving. So the first part of the verse says, for God so loved the world that he gave. So his act of love was an act of giving. And if you think about this, he gave the most important, precious thing that he could give. He gave his son, Jesus Christ. Now, those of you who are parents in the room, I'm, my wife and I, Michelle and I, are parents of three boys and a girl. Um, I can't think of sacrificing one of them for anything. Okay? As a parent, I can't think of that. God says, I'm going to give the most important thing that I have. The son, Jesus, says, I'm going to give the most important thing that I have, his own life. The Apostle Paul in Romans 5 says, it's possible that some people for a good person might die, might sacrifice themselves. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He gave himself. And he gave a gift that keeps on giving. It's not just a one-time gift, but God gives us the gift of eternal life a gift that gets better every day from here until eternity. A gift that keeps on giving and giving and giving. And so I would suggest to you that at the heart of the gospel is a God whose most normal act is generosity. The gospel is fundamentally about generosity. And if we are to be like God, then we ask the question, so what does that mean for us? 
I want to pause on that question because as I usually say when I, uh, when I have the opportunity to preach in chapel, when you look at scripture, the first question you should ask is not what should I do? The first question you should ask is who is God showing himself to be? So I want to pause a little bit here to look at who is God showing himself to be with this act of generosity. In this passage, I said we see three different versions of it. The father giving his most precious gift, the son giving the most precious gift, um, God as the Trinity giving this eternally increasing gift. But it's not just in this verse. God has always been in the business of giving. If you look uh, way back in Genesis 1 through 4, the creation narrative, the first two chapters. Any major that you have today is interesting only because of God's generosity in one and two. If you're a science major, you're taking cell biology at the cellular level, it's interesting because of God's generosity in one and two. If you're interested in the biodiversity of the animal world, the plant world, it's interesting because God didn't give us just four plants and three animals. That would be a boring world but he creates incredible biodiversity. If you're an art major, he didn't give us just three primary colors or six secondary colors or however many tertiary colors. He gave us an infinite color wheel. He gave you an infinite palette from which to create. If you're an English major or a theater, sorry, I, was in, I lived in Arkansas for a long time. That's why you pronounce it down there. Um, so... <laughs> Theater. Uh, if you're a theater major, sorry, that was, I like that laugh, by the way. Um, <laughs> see, there it is. Okay. There's a Justin Bieber meme there somewhere, too. Um, those, some, of you knew it, some of you are already going there. Um, this is what I get for having a 16-year-old daughter. Um, so anyway, if you're an English or theater major... Your world is interesting, literature is interesting, drama is interesting because of the variety of human emotions that God gave us, the, the capacity for humor, the capacity for sadness. Um, God gave us just an incredible diversity of everything that there is because that's what he does. He gives and gives and gives. We see it all throughout scripture. In Psalm 19, it says, the heavens declare the glories of God. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they pour forth knowledge. God is not stingy. He gives and gives and gives. As we get to the New Testament, Jesus says in, in John chapter 14, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. And the disciples ask, what's that about? And in the version I learned, it says, I'm going to prepare mansions for you. They're not shacks for you. You're not camping for eternity. God is preparing magnificence for you for eternity. When Jesus leaves earth, he tells the disciples, it's better for you that I leave because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, he sends the Holy Spirit, which he pours out on his people. He doesn't drip it out on his people. He pours out the Spirit on his people so that those who are his followers could be filled day by day with God himself, could be empowered for all sorts of spiritual gifts and opportunities. He pours forth himself. And at the end of Revelation, in Revelation 21, it says he is bringing about a new heaven and a new earth, a whole new set of stuff that we get. God is generous, generous, generous. It's the most normal, it's the most normal thing that he does is to give. And then he says to us, be, can, be conformed to my image. 
In other words, be like me. We've talked about image of God recently in chapel. To uh, The image of God means we look like God. Okay, turn to the person next to you. Say, hmm, you look like God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and even in this room, we see the beautiful diversity of the image of God. We don't all look alike. Some of you have heads that look different than John Bray's and mine. We're sorry for you for that, okay? But you're warmer in winter. Um, but it's not just the physical features. If we are going to look more and more like God, it means we look more and more generous as a normal way of life. So when you walk across campus after chapel today, as you are growing in the image of Christ it should become more and more normal for you to look for opportunities to give. It should become more and more normal for you to look for opportunities to serve other people, to bless other people. And I want to give you four specific ways you can do that. There's an acronym that I'm going to use today. I usually don't like acronyms. I kind of find them cheesy most of the time. Um, but today I'm going to use an acronym because it comes from my dad. Okay, my dad is a pastor, and in the last 10 years or so, Kind of God has really laid on his heart this message of generosity, and he graciously gave me permission to use this acronym, and I want to give him honor uh, by doing that. So the acronym is LIFE, Living a Life of Giving. And there are four practical ways that you can live a life of giving every day. The first one is your labor. Um, I was going to use uh, the word work here, but then the acronym would be wife instead of life, and I thought that would be kind of weird. Um, so uh, the acronym is life. So your labor, the things that you do, and there's a couple different kinds of labor. One is just the stuff when you notice, when you notice people's needs around you. So as you walk to the cafeteria today, you're eating there. Something might happen like happens with me at, at lunch sometimes. I've got a couple friends on campus where just part of their normal thing is at the end of a meal they say, can I take your tray back for you? And I'm, I'm capable, more or less, of carrying my tray back without spilling. Um, you know, but they just say, can I serve you? It's not because of my position, it's not because of my title, it's not because of anything else, it's just they have a posture of giving. And so it's just a normal thing for them to say, can I take your tray back? It's cool. As you walk to class today, you might see somebody from the facilities or grounds crew outside uh, the door of one of your classrooms. Is your first thought, I need to get in quickly to get to class, or I could take 10 seconds and ask if they need help opening the door? It's a small thing, but it's, it's a small way of turning ourselves towards a posture of giving. You might be living in South Hall, and tonight uh, you're walking down the hall and you hear somebody say, man, I wish I had a car, I need to go over to Meyer." Is your first thought to walk past quickly and hope that they don't notice you've got a car? Or to say, I could take a half hour and bring him to, to Walmart. Or not Walmart, Meyer. Yeah, if he wants to go to Meyer, don't bring him to Walmart. Um, so, um, but it's other things like this. One of the things I love about my dad is he has modeled generosity for me for years. Uh, one of the ways he serves people from the time I was a little kid is whenever he hears that somebody's moving, he volunteers to help load the truck. And of course, that meant when I was a kid, I got brought along for that. It's a great thing because everybody hates moving, right? 
In fact, some people say don't get a pickup truck because then people will ask you to help them move all the time. But my dad would look for people to help move. So much so that one time when I was 10, he coordinated it so we moved four families over five days in three cities and two states with the same truck. It was awesome. It was exhausting, but it was like, this is a tangible way of giving. So what are the ways that you can give? Just a normal part of your life. It's not because you're an expert. It's not because it's your career, but just because there's a need. Do you look for ways to give? But secondly, do you look for ways to give based on how God has wired you for work? So in other words, your major and your career. Do you look for ways that um, the gifts that God has given you become a vehicle for giving? And there are some obvious ways we think about this. Um, there's a woman in, uh, in town here, Teresa Campbell, who runs the St. Martin Community Center. Last year, they served 70,000 meals and had over 12,000 food pantry visits for poor people in Grand County. She has taken her career and focused it on giving. But it's not just for social work majors. Any career that you have, any major that you have, is an opportunity for God to use it as a gift to the world. We've got a great example here on campus. Our men's basketball team. Uh, their motto is, I am third. You probably know this. Um, you probably also know they've won three national championships in the last six years. It's really impressive, okay? Yeah, we can clap for that. That's cool. That's cool. They're great guys, great coaches. What's interesting to me is Coach Connor. Coach Tonegal and Coach Clark, a number of years ago, said, we don't believe that we are coaching basketball in a gospel way. They said, we're coaching out of fear. We're coaching out of self-motivation. We need to change the way we coach basketball. And so they said, what is a gospel way of coaching basketball? They said, we need to be motivated by love. Love God first, love others second, ourselves go third. And what was interesting, within a very short time, they went from being a competitive team to a multiple national championship level. So then, there's a secondary temptation. Because when you figure out how to win, everybody else wants to know it. And so the question for them came, do we hold on to this tightly, or do we live in a gospel way? And so they started sharing their secret sauce for winning. They hold conferences on campus for coaches, including coaches from the Crossroads League, their competition on how to do basketball in a more gospel-centered way. That doesn't make sense. That's the gospel, okay? It's living a life of giving in whatever you do, and they've had all sorts of opportunities for this. Labor, how do you use your work as an act of giving? Second one, influence. Um, so, obviously, our coaches, players, have influence because of being basketball uh, champions, but each person in this room has a sphere of influence because of your position or because of your relationships. And your influence is an opportunity to um, use whatever you have as a gift to the people around you. Um, so, I have a position of chancellor in the university, and I ask myself, what is my responsibility because I have this influence as a position? Frankly, also, what does it mean as a white man in this position? What responsibility do I have to students, faculty, to women leaders, to students and staff of color and faculty of color? 
What is my responsibility in this role because of who I am? How do I steward my influence as an act of giving on a regular basis? You, in your relationships with your friends, have a sphere of influence. How do you use that sphere of influence? How do you use your position? Some of it comes through organizations. Our radio station, The Fortress, uh, in September worked with SGA to sponsor Voices of Recovery, a ministry uh, that works with people in recovery here in Grant County. In November, they did a food drive uh, for people in need. Um, the football team last year uh, helped sponsor the dance marathon, right, to raise, uh, raise money for uh, kids at Riley's, uh, Riley Children's Hospital. I went on the dance marathon page. By the way, it's coming up March 28th. You need to be involved. And it lists people who are using, students who are using their influence to raise money for Riley Children's Hospital. Here's a few of the names. It's out there publicly, so I didn't ask these people permission. Uh, but Olivia Ennis, Sarah Eubanks, Sydney Moore, Kenzie Teal, Hannah Heilman, Liz Richards, Sarah Moreno, Lindsey Gwynn, all have said, we're gonna use our influence to help give to children and family in needs. They don't have a position for that necessarily. They just said, but I, I've got a sphere, I've got a network that I can mobilize to serve and to give. How do you use your influence? Um, there are students who volunteer every Wednesday night for Young Life to minister uh, to Marion High School students. Last semester, every residence hall and SGA participated in an event to support uh, survivors of sexual assault. Using the influence you have as a way of giving to others as a natural way of life. Thirdly, finances. Here's the tough one. How do you give the money you have? And this is where every, all of us almost get clenched fists because we go, I don't have much money. How many of you would raise your hand and say, I don't have as much money as I need? Anyone? Okay. That's not a trick question. It's, all of you are probably thinking of your bills, uh, tuition, um, prospective parents and students trying to figure out how to afford this um, when your kids come here. Our most natural thing is to hold on to what we have. And I want to suggest to you that now is the most important time in your life to develop a posture of giving. Because if you don't give when you have nothing, you won't give when you have something. Okay? If you don't give when you have nothing, you won't give when you have something. And the research bears it out. People living below the poverty level give a much higher percentage of income than millionaires or middle income. It's a posture, it's not an amount. I read a story uh, this past week about a church in India, um, and they have a phrase to express the way they give to God. And for those of you um, uh, from India, I apologize for my uh, pronunciation of this word, but it's called Bufai Tom, and it means one handful of rice at a time. Families in the church set aside a portion of rice at every meal for God. When they collect enough rice, they donate it to their local church. The church turns around and sells it to generate income they are currently collecting $1.5 million to support 1,800 missionaries as well as their local church. This is what one church member said. It's not our richness or our poverty that makes us serve the Lord, but our willingness. As long as we have something to eat every day, we have something to give to God every day. I love that. 
If you have something to eat today, you have something to give today. And that's for all of us. One of the cool things I've learned from my dad on this, sometimes I've felt guilty because I don't, I feel like I don't have enough money to give. And he says, God never asks us to give what we don't have. So, bless you. Um, so God doesn't ask me to give a million dollars. God doesn't ask you to give a million dollars, probably because you probably don't have a million dollars. But he does say, out of what I have given you, how do you give back to me? How do you give back um, to the people around you? So finances, again, if you don't give now when you don't have anything, you won't give later when you have something. Last, um, expertise. What skills do you have that you can give to others? Again, there's so many examples on campus. Last, uh, last semester, uh, Marion Design Co. and the Art and Design uh, major did Marion Made. How many of you participated in that? Any of you participated in that? Okay, this, this event that downtown that helps set up local artisans to be able to share and sell their creations, okay? Using their artistic skills, their investment in the community to say we are gonna bless uh, the community. Uh, some of you have um, video game skills. Do you know that you can use video game skills for the kingdom of God? Some of you are going, wow, that puts a whole new spin on Fortnite, okay? Um, but, you know, your video game skills could be a vehicle for mentoring local intermediate school kids, okay? Use what skills you have as a gift to the people around you. It doesn't matter what skills they are, if God has given them to you, you have an opportunity. And what you find is that when you start to live a life of giving, when you see giving as more than just a task to be done, I've written my tithe check or I've pushed the tithe app, um, I've texted my tithe, you know, once a month, once a week, however often you get paid, um, I'm done. But once you start to see giving as a way of life, it starts to change you and to change those around you. Here's one of the most interesting stories I saw as I was working on this. There's an actor named Patton Oswalt. Um, for those of you who are Pixar fans, he was the voice of Remy in Ratatouille, okay? Yes. Yeah, you can always get applause if you mention Pixar movies in here. Um, so, um, but he had an interesting interaction on Twitter uh, within the last year. Um, he is not a fan of President Trump's and he made a sarcastic tweet about President Trump a few months ago. A Trump supporter named Michael Beatty got really angry and um, started trolling him on Twitter, and including things like saying, I just realized why I was so happy you died in the movie Blade Trinity, and called him a sawed-off little man. Angry stuff. And for any of you who have spent more than 15 seconds on social media, you know where this story ends, right? It escalates, it gets worse, except it didn't. Patton Oswalt did something really interesting. He said this. He began scrolling through his Twitter feed, and he says, oh man, he tweeted this. He said, this dude just attacked me on Twitter and I joked back, but then I looked at his timeline and he's in a lot of trouble health-wise. Let's help deal him some new cards. Click and donate like I'm gonna do. So instead of trolling back, he used it as an opportunity of giving. Um, this guy had been in, the, in a coma uh, because of diabetic problems, and so Patton Oswalt helped raise $21,000 to support the medical expenses of a guy who was trolling him on Twitter. 
I would say that's a gospel response. I have no idea about Patton Oswalt's spiritual life, but here's what happened. This is what Beatty said in a response uh, to Oswalt on Twitter. He says, you have humbled me to the point where I can barely compose my words. You have caused me to pause and reflect on how harmful words from my mouth could result in such an outpouring. I will pass this on. Maybe one of the ways of dealing with anger and political polarization in our world is generosity, not sarcasm. Maybe it's living a gospel life where our natural response is to give, not to jab. Where we don't see it as a power play, but an opportunity for giving. And the research shows that when you do this, your quality of life goes up. There's a research study on the workplace that says there are three different kinds of workers, takers, matchers, and givers. Only 8% of people in the workplace are givers but those who are have 68% less stress and they're happier when they come home at night. You are made in God's image and the more you act like God, the more life makes sense. And God is calling us to a life of generosity. The band is gonna come back up in two minutes. I wanna give you two minutes to reflect and decide on one action point you're gonna do from this message. For those of you who are introverts and want to do it on your phone, that's great. For those of you who are extroverts and want to talk to the person next to you, take two minutes and answer the question, what does your life of giving look like? How can you use your labor, your influence, your finances, or your expertise to start shaping yourselves more like the character of God this weekend? Ready, go.